Hello, Cyclocross friends, and thanks for tuning in to episode 266 of Cyclocross Radio. On today's show, we're back in the mountain bike media pit with Elizabeth and Zach, and we're talking about Albstadt. A jam-packed weekend of action in the second round of the Mountain Bike World Cup, and we're going to cover it all. And it's brought to you by Hammerhead and the Karoo 2. If you want to get more out of your rides beyond just distance, time, and pace, how about advanced GPS navigation and the ability to see upcoming hills? The Hammerhead Karoo 2 helps you find your path forward and unlock your full potential. I read that from the copy that they sent me that that I'm supposed to read, but I'm telling you that if you're looking for a new cycling computer, you cannot beat Hammerhead. And the thing that is another benefit from getting this Karoo 2 is that it helps all your friends at the wide angle podium and especially at Cyclocross Radio. The Karoo 2 is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available today. It's industry-leading mapping, navigation, routing capabilities that set it apart from other GPS options so you can explore with confidence and on-the-go flexibility. It also has Hammerhead's exclusive climber with predictive path technology feature. This is super cool. It lets you visualize and prepare for upcoming gradient changes in real time, even if you don't have a route loaded. So you can confidently see what lies ahead, whether it's a steep incline, a windy descent, or simply someplace new and wonderful waiting to be explored. And that's that's kind of what we all want. So hey, for a limited time, our listeners here at Cyclocross Radio can get a free custom color kit and an exclusive premium water bottle with the purchase of a Hammerhead Karoo 2. Visit hammerhead.io right now and use the promo code CXRADIO, C-X-R-A-D-I-O, at checkout, and you'll get yours today. does a ton to help us here at Wide Angle Podium, also at Cyclocross Radio, so if you're looking for a new cycling computer, you can't go wrong with the Hammerhead Karoo 2, and you can get this exclusive limited-time offer if you use the code CXRADIO, the free custom color kit and premium water bottle with the purchase of a Karoo 2. Hammerhead.io. Add all three items to your cart and use the promo code CXRADIO today. Do it. Do it now. All right. We've got a great episode. We're going to get right into it. We've got Elizabeth and Zach. We're talking about Albstadt. It's episode 266 of Cyclocross Radio, and we're doing all of that right now. We are back in the media pit, MTB version again. Do I even have to say that? I mean, that's that's basically what we're doing now, World Cup mountain biking, which means Elizabeth is back, along with Zach, just the three of us, and we are covering... Albstadt, uh, which took place this past weekend. And where should we start? Let's start. Uh, I, I feel like we always start with the course and the venue itself. Elizabeth, did you notice that the Albstadt bike park is becoming more parky? Like every, you know, they were doing like these small iterations and now, yeah, they, 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 
did some construction over the last 12, 12 months. They did some work. Uh, I think potentially most interestingly work that it seemed that our cross-country racing friends were not into in the pump track section that featured enough space to go around. Uh, I, the, the Can we just get this out of the way now? Is this, or are we just calling this the Zach McDonald line on the, yes. on the pump track? <laughs> yeah, that... Uh, I was it was it was funny to see because it, it seemed tentative at first, and then there were enough people who were like, "Yeah, screw it. This is this is it. I'm not dealing with these bumps." I think everybody went back and watched a short track and saw what Pitcock was doing, and then they were like, "Oh, well, that seems to be a line where we don't actually have to use our arms. We'll just do that." Yeah, but there is there definitely we saw saw some changes, saw some features being built into that Alpstadt track. Yeah, so I think the biggest one is that the, the the descent that goes into what they now call the waves section, which is a great flowy section of this course, it used to be a gap and then a pretty big drop in, into that. And now they've built up some wooden sections into there. I think they kind of made it a little – I think the, the what I saw in this track – and I, I, I love Alpstadt. I, it gets a lot of um, – flack for not being very exciting. I've always thought the racing there was great and and it seems like it's a, a well put together venue. I, re- I really like it. And and for the crowds in that big like valley section is just amazing. Amazing crowds there. But the things it seems like that got dumbed down a little. The, the that first big drop that comes after the high line and low line which we'll talk about, that got dumbed down. Like that used to be scary. That like, used to involve were, mattresses. Yes, mattresses and people sessioning it and staring at it for a long time. Uh, And then, and I think this will come in early, what we talk about, Zach, because it played into the short track, is that the end of the lap, when you went back into the field before the pump track, used to be just really narrow single track. And now it's kind of a choose-your-own-adventure. They got like three lines through there. So... It's yeah, some some interesting changes. Uh, above that, they took out the fluky jumps that he flew off into the side of the track, and um, uh, you know, on <laughs> it's got lost in the woods there for a while. That that seems like that's just like one little ledge, and then kind of a straight shot. So probably a faster track, a little less technical, but maybe flows better. I don't know. Am I selling this? I thought it looks like a fun track to ride. I mean, it's like, it's one of those things where I guess maybe the descents don't look as gnarly, but you see just the way, especially the way like Nino and Rebecca were sending them. You're like, that looks like a lot of fun, like flowy, technical enough, you know, Rocky and Rudy, and we'll probably talk about bike choices. I mean, we saw a lot of full squish bikes on the weekend because um, it just seemed like really chattery, um, but yet fun. Uh, and the, the one that I found interesting uh, is the, the uh, what, what are those sections called? They're not planks. Like, are they, are they gangways? Are they boardwalks? Like, what is the official mountain bike term for those things? I, the, the, yeah, the, the, they're like, they are, they're just like, um, it was like, like a mountain bike park, like an indoor, if you've ever been to an indoor mountain bike park, that's yeah. kind of what it was like. Yeah, I mean, it would be a boardwalk if it were not a straight downhill, uh, but... But they have them uphill, too. They They're have on them the uphill, climb. too, They're, right. Yeah, it's like boardwalk with chicken wire. But then there were like side hill ones, too, like yeah. towards the bottom of it. So I, the, the thing that was interesting to me is I was wondering, you know, it looked like it, it was really wet leading up to the race. It 
was dry-ish for the short track, and it was dry as a bone, except for that one random <laughs> spot at the top of the climb that made the bikes get muddy. But I was kind of worried about folks if it started raining during the elite men's race, because those things are... I may or may not have almost slipped off one of those when it's wet. Like you hit it too hard and you're gone. Um, so I guess maybe fortunately it didn't rain a lot. <laughs> yeah, this race is, has a history of being extremely treacherous and wet. And I think, you know, there's it's obvious why you build stuff like that on a mountain bike course that gets a lot of rain if it is to preserve, you know, really to preserve the tread to keep the whole track from eroding you need to build up boards and stuff like that if you're going to see a lot of traffic, um, which, of course, then inevitably gets slicker and snot if it rains on them. And so I think it's like we've seen some pretty tremendous crashes when it's been wet. It was interesting to me, I think, to watch in the cross-country race them ride this course dry, which it's not like it hasn't happened dry before. But this dry, I think it it felt like, oh, this is about as dry as this has ever been. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there in a dry year and a wet year. And yeah, they're just like completely different races. And again, even going back to that wave section, one of the things that used to be treacherous in the mud is they used to have this big drop off of the last section of that. That's now gone as to one. I think that Annika Langved used to piss everybody off because she'd get off and run it. Um, <laughs> and it's just like pile up behind her with people waiting for her to make her way down. Uh, but yeah, so that's gone too. So really just interesting changes in it. But I guess the the bottom line is Alpstadt probably the most climby course or one of the top climby courses that we'll see and just a stark contrast to what we'll see next week in Nova Mesto. So that's why this is always th – these are always good back-to-backs because it really uh, – it, it shows off different different skill sets from a power course, which we'll see next week, to, to a real climber's course this week. And I think it speaks to how technical it is, especially how technical the descents are if you want to take them at speed, that almost everyone chose a full suspension bike for this. I think it also speaks to the uh, evolution of full su suspension bike technology that people are riding these short travel, super raced out cross-country full squish bikes. But Basically, only the Cannondale team, as far as the top teams goes, was on a hardtail and almost everyone else. Or the Ghost team might have also been on hardtails, but almost everyone else was on full suspension. Does, does Ghost team make a full suspension yet? I don't yet? think so. <laughs> so I have, like, since we're the media pit, some commentary about the uh, the commentary from, uh, from Rob and Bart, uh, especially in the short track race. But it was funny watching the short track race, and they're like, ah! Oh! Avancini on that hardtail it's so fast in the short track and then on Sunday they were like oh he made a bad choice on the descent <laughs> I was like <laughs> you're just changing your mind um, but I mean to your point Elizabeth I think like what Trek has developed with the SuperCal and some of the other companies is almost like I don't like to use game changer but it's for these cross country races it's like I don't know if you'd want one they're really expensive like as a person but as a bike racer they're like the perfect choice because it's kind of a hard tail but it's got some suspension in both the front and rear for most of these races it makes it a really nice race option and you're seeing right doesn't scott have one as well that they're they're choosing those almost exclusively as their their race bikes now right and i mean i ride the specialized epic personally and it's the same kind of thing it's it is a short travel cross-country bike and it does so much especially if you've come off of a hardtail and you're used to racing on a hardtail you only need a little bit of suspension to feel like it's a lot and 
it's so lightweight that it doesn't give you that climbing penalty that you see on some of the you know, more old school full suspension bikes or trail bikes. See, I started I started riding short track or single track on my cross bike. So then when I got a hardtail, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. So and now that everything can lock out easily and it's all wireless, including and everybody, it seems like dropper posts are now slowly being accepted by everyone where even what two years ago it was still this this rarity and nobody wanted that weight penalty but now that the weight has come down so much on those that i i think that full suspension is going to be just commonplace like they're not you're not even going to bring two bikes in in the next couple seasons i think it's just going to be a one one bike event for for most people Bill, I am alarmed at the amount of uh, tech corner that is creeping into... Uh, Bill has just been on fire, uh, if you listen to the Grodio podcast as well. Um, should we talk about the races? I don't know. There were some we races going should. on. Okay. There some I do races. love. I love Bill doing tech corner. I love this. Well, let's talk about the short track. Uh, Zach, I'm going to throw it right back at you because now now we, we've we've got a couple years here, you know, we have at least one year with the, the three of us talking about this short track circuit, especially starting with Alpshot, which I think was the first ever short track race that happened, uh, in, in, and, um, this is a track that I think last year, Zach, this was the one where you had the criticism that this was the type of racing you didn't like because it was group racing. Is it right? Did you feel that? How, how are you feeling on this? Because I thought these were two really good tension building. You know, you just had to wait to see how it plays out races. What's your what's your initial thought here? I don't know what's happened to me. I've really come around. Like, I think that uh, I don't know why I cared so much. Um, so but proud I, of you, Zach. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, if you talk about like these races, I think maybe it's just my ma- maturing watching them is you can see the tactical nature because, you know, on this course, there was the the open start finish, you know, the open beginning. But then there was only really one other place to pass people unless you decided to skip the whoops like Nino did. Um, but on that uphill, that long uphill right before the whoops, I mean, so it was like the race was decided well before the end of the race. And so, you know, although it is group racing that it's really becoming tactical in that last lap is trying to understand and appreciate where tactically, you know, you need to be. And it seems like this one, you know, we saw two riders just play it, play it perfectly. Who understood that, who won the race a minute before the race was over. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think that's really a a great point, Elizabeth, what we, we know now is that as I was saying, this was the first one and, and for us and for all of these riders, they now have a couple of years, but they especially have last year to go back and look at and Pauline Ferrand Prevost and Matthew Vanderpool set a pretty good blueprint on how you win at Obstadt, which is to attack right over the flyover, get over the flyover, attack over that, attack up that, you know, pick your lap that you're going to do it on. And I think what that did is everybody saw that, and then just like anything else, it just kept backing it up farther and farther on where that was going to start. Right, and it's a pretty hilly course for a short track course. So you, at Punchy, you've got some good spots to make an attack that sticks. So there is some flexibility. There's not just the one spot. There are a few spots where you can do it if you stick to it. And 
And then I think there was also a, it was fun watching a, an A line, B line descent section in this one, uh, that did, that had added, added some, added some spice, added some interest to who was willing to dive into, you know, what looked like a pretty, pretty hairy B line actually, uh, coming down. But, you know, I think, that added a little bit of interest because there was a, another spot where you could potentially make a difference if you were willing to risk it. Uh, Jenny Rizveds, I think, is you know made best use of that out of anybody in the women's race. Um, but yeah, it was it was. Uh, I think seeing those tactics play out, seeing Pauline know where and when she needed to move up, uh, was was it was it was it was great. It was fun to watch she was she was in like 30th place after the first lap like she was she was way back you're like watching you're like you're like is that Ferran Prevot in like 24th place or whatever so um yeah she was able to to to, to move up but at the same time I mean should we go to the end of the race or I yep, mean let's do it I mean yeah. so she got punked I mean I I feel like until this ends Bill we just need to turn it over to Elizabeth and let her gloat and let her bask in the glory. I mean, I you are the chief Rebecca McConnell correspondent of this yep. podcast, yep. Uh, perhaps in the world. So do it to her. Perhaps How'd she win? in the world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so so Becca really, I mean, she pushed the pace on this one. Uh, and and I think really, you know, she she made Pauline work to stay with her and then held off uh, and, you know, eased up and ceased or neutralized any opportunity like took the momentum out of Pauline to get a last attack in uh I think you know my favorite part of course is catching the uh moment after the race where Pauline asks uh Rebecca where she got the legs um that she's apparently got right now and uh yeah it's just a it, it, it but I think in in that too you know it's it's amazing to see uh, Becca come back with the, you know, this fire from Brazil in her belly, um, a sort of a newfound, you know, I think I tweeted about it. She looks like she's just riding with a whole newfound confidence, um, in, in herself, uh, and, and things are clicking and, you know, to foreshadow, uh, a little bit without saying, you know, much about, about Sunday's race, but she's happy. Uh, and happy racers, as our pal Kate Courtney says, happiness is fast, uh, and it, it's it's proving proving true for Becca, I think. So I have a question. I mean, we've talked about in the in the past that she's kind of been uh, one of those riders who just does like all the races, uh, and I mean, I'm looking at her results, and you know, she's raced a handful of you know, she well, she raced a few races like in March or whatever, and then, you know, hasn't done more than one other one besides the World Cups. Like, could she be benefiting from not, not, I mean, could there be some benefit to like stop doing what she was doing before and focus on getting results? Because, you know, it seemed like in previous years, like she'd be up there, right? That's, that's how the whole, is she elite? But then she would, she would fade. She'd have that one lap where she would just sink like a stone. And you're right. She's racing like a completely different person. I wonder if just, Every athlete talks about it. Every athlete that overtrains, every athlete that rides, you know, too much tempo talks about it. Like when they stop, they're like, wow, I, I, I got fast. No, I, I'm, I'm going to put, I, I put forth this theory in the, um, 
in in our text thread. Didn't know if really want to say, it, but but I think it plays into this. It, it, one of the factors that Beck McConnell now has is that she's Dan McConnell's not on her team anymore. They're not racing together. And I think something that they really loved doing is training together, traveling together and racing. And it was just that adventure life that they had. And it was pretty awesome to follow, but they would do, they would hit everything. They would go to the world cup and then they would be, Hey, we're getting in the car. We're driving to Austria. We're doing this right. We're getting in the car. We're driving to Germany. We're doing this race. And they would just race and race and race. And, and I think just loving it life-wise, but now Dan's not with her doing that anymore. So I think part of that incentive for her to do it, I'm guessing, I don't know, but this is just my theory, is that since he's not there, she's able to take that time off because they're not doing it to have fun and go race and do what they do because they're bike racers. Yeah, you've heard it. I just, you hear it so many times. I mean, I just remember our guy, Vinny B, in cyclocross season last year being like, I didn't, I didn't know you could rest. Like, was I not training hard enough? And then he had his best season of his, his career. Uh, so another rider, I mean, foreshadowing uh, in this race. Uh, I, one thing that I've, I, it's, it seems really interesting that's been fun is it still seems like there's not, uh, you know, this top tier, it's not like the same people every week. And we're getting some, uh, I won't say randos, but we'll say different riders who are cracking the, you know, and I like that mountain, but I like the wide angle podium. I think it gives you more people to talk about. It makes fifth place something to talk about. But uh, Alessandra Keller was really aggressive uh, in this race. And, you know, she was one of those riders until the end of the race that was really animating it. And I mean, spoiler alert, she had a pretty good day on Sunday too. So it, it was cool to see her, come in hot, coming in, feeling good and being able to kind of carry that through, you know, from Friday to Sunday. Yeah, I think I was really excited about that. You know, I think I actually put down for Sunday that she in some ways was the ride of the day. Um, And I think, you know, it's it's she's only a couple years older than our current crop of young elite racers in the women's field. Like she I think she's 26, 25, 26. She was a U23 world champion, too. She was a superstar at the U23 level. She came into the elite level and broke both her wrists at the same time. Like, she had two casts on at the beginning of the season. I think it actually happened at Alpstadt. But it was, like, early in the season. And it took her out for, you know, a year, basically. Which, in in a year where... And I think it, it... that was maybe her second elite season. So she hadn't really had that sort of breakthrough thing. Plus we're at a time where, you know, she's enough years ago that this wasn't as popular, that the broadcast wasn't as widely watched as it is now. Uh, And so it's, it's great to see her sort of come back from that injury into form and, you know, missing, basically missing out on a whole season at that point, um, kind of breaking both of your hands at the same time. It's like, it's just, you can't ride at all. Like, you can't do anything. Yeah. And the other thing that she has going for, you know, how sometimes, I, not my favorite thing to do, but it will do like top American in a race. Pretty good on her part here. Top Swiss rider, meaning beating out Yolanda Neff. Cena Fry, the world champ in the short track, and then also Linda Inegrand, who's usually been up there at the front. So if nothing else, that's that's something to hang your hat on. Pretty great day for a Swiss woman. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's okay to do to do top Swiss rider. Uh, so the other one that, you know, Bill, you were talking about staying healthy, and we saw the the illness that ravaged the the trek 
uh, team tent at uh, Petropolis, Jenny Risfeds stays home, skips it. Seems like it was a smart play for her. She said that she was she was sick um, leading up to it, made the decision to skip that race and train and not deal with it. You know, you, they talked about in the broadcast, Flukager kind of blew it. He got to Petropolis too late. So a smart play from her. And she, you know, she had a great weekend, third place uh, to start it off on Friday. So smart, smart for, for risk feds, I think. Yeah. Also, I I think we all love Jenny Risveds and she said it as much her cross her short track strategy. You know, Pauline we talk about is just super crafty. You were saying she's back in 30th place, just picks her spot and then just wasn't able to do it this time because to get off on a tangent. But uh, if you look at the road, Beck McConnell's strategy was kind of the the uh, the sprint train strategy, if I go as hard as I can, then you can't attack type strategy. Uh, Rizvez just does that the whole race. Her thing is like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to make y'all work. You know, I'm going to go to the front every time I, every chance I get, and I'm going to push it. And I'm just going to try to get gaps and try to win this off the front. And, you know, she's able to do that and still hang on for third is, is pretty freaking amazing. And she's just super strong. So maybe like that's a good segue to something for the men that I was thinking about. I mean, we had so we had Schwartzbauer, the the hometown guy. It was funny, like throwing down just massive watts over and over. But like you've got some teams, especially like like Specialized has a number of riders. And it seems like I don't know what your thoughts on this guy, but like it seems like you could use more team tactics. I mean, he neutralized the front of that race for so long by just riding like a beast. But then like. He fell apart at the moment that Sam Sam Gaze literally used him to win the race because he just fell apart. Do you think that at some point, like on a course like this, maybe we'll see more team tactics of like expending a rider like we're watching Legion, you know, just destroy the front of a bike race in the in the road? Mountain bikes just not built like that though, right, Elizabeth? I mean, there's yeah, so much we- individual but we used to see it with Kate and Annika Longvad when they were teammates a little bit. Like, they would make Kate do the work and Annika could sit in and and then Annika was fresh for the finish. Like, was it the same as road tactics? No. Was it trying? Yes. Uh, and I think it was... It was at least it it looked explicit that that was Kate's job. It could be, it is possible and it could be helpful. Yeah, absolutely. And yes, we have kind of seen it in the past. But I just think it's a when everybody is on a two year contract and their job is to podium at bike races as opposed to somebody who's making six figures on the world tour to get somebody to the top of the hill and then just take the rest of the race off i I just yeah it's just i think it's a much tougher sell because everybody's in it for themselves a little bit more like formula one (laughs) exactly okay so but like uh you know and elizabeth i'll I'll ask you about you know sam gaze's history because i'm sure with his history that you're pretty stoked but like you know Schwartzbach, you know he's pulling i think he watched avancini just like you know get the accolades get the cheers um down in brazil and he's like you know what I'm just go- I'm going out in a blaze of glory, uh, and he did the same thing at the start of the XCO race. Uh, but I, you know, I feel like maybe uh, Gaze should give him a couple bucks. I mean, for kind of his uh, his just falling apart as Gaze was attacked and really uh, bodged things up. But Elizabeth, pretty great to see Sam Gaze uh, back after everything he's dealt with, huh? 
Yeah, it was. It was really good to see him back. I think, you know, I, it's it's nice. I think it's good that he's landed on the Alpacine Phoenix team. Like, I feel like that's a, it's a kind of a nice home for him. Um, I think it's given him a comfortable space to come back into it. Um, yeah, he's a serious guy. And I think it, it, it hit him really hard, his absence from racing. Uh, and to see him, you know, again, somebody who had a lot of pressure on him with early success. And it's, you know, I, it cannot have been easy. Um, and, you know, particularly concussion recovery in that not easy. Uh, so, you know, I was excited to see him in the mix. I was like, didn't know how that might play out and thought like, could it be, you know, is it, is he going to pull this off? And I wasn't really sure until the end. And then, you know, it was really, really great to see him have that absolutely devastatingly strong sprint at the finish uh, to pull it off. Yeah. And of course we've, we've seen that. We know that he can sprint like that. You know, it's, I mean, his biggest victory ever is out sprinting Nino in South Africa. I mean, that's kind of what he's going to hang his hat on until he does something greater, but what a, just what a difficult rider to try to figure out. And, and, and he knows it too. I think he's trying to figure it out himself. And that was because he'll be great. And then he'll just be awful. And he's just like, just doesn't know what's going on from week to week or how he's going to reform or from week, we you know, weekend day to weekend day. So it's, he's always just wild rider to, to follow. And even in that interview afterwards, I mean, you're talking about him a series. I, he just, I, he was still like processing it and just didn't know what to say. I mean, he got out the nuclear you know, um, thanking everyone and all that kind of stuff and playing hard and giving 110%, but just really just not, not engaged in that interview at all. Just kind of like trying to process what happened, almost like not happy about it. Cause he was like, I don't, I don't know what to say. Let's cheer on Michael, you know, Amachu, because he just won the the Giro stage. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I I think that's it's it's funny because you you look at something like that, and I think that's kind of part of why I said I think it's it's nice that he found a home in Alpacine Phoenix, where it's a team that doesn't have the kind of big mountain bike factory team pressure on him uh, and where he doesn't have to be the superstar, even if Vanderpool isn't racing mountain bikes right now, like he can just kind of be him. And if things go well, it's awesome. And he feels like he's part of something. And if not, the expectations are not as, as extreme on him as they might've been in the past. Um, and I, I don't even think he was signed to be a mountain biker on this team. He was signed to be a road racer. He didn't even know if he was going to race mountain bikes anymore. So just to have him back in there is great because, yeah. I mean, he just he's definitely adds something different. And I think when we get to the cross countries uh, part, there's a comparison I want to make with him as well. But, yeah, let's get to the racing, Zach. Yeah. So, well, I mean, I... Uh... <laughs> Oh, we're going to talk about the race. I was going to go to a trivia question that we're going to do later. Okay, let's do a trivia question. Uh, well, for, for the listeners, I mean, so we had uh, Sam Gaze, uh, you know, he, he won this, this short track race. So who, who are the other riders who have won the Albstadt short track race? I think it's just Vanderpool, right? Yes. 
So I, you know, I, I, Bill, I thought you were going to lead with this. I thought for Alpha's sure. Alpha's in Phoenix. It's their home track. I know. I was predicting that this would be your lead in. I, I, I that was my prediction. I was going to say, oh, Bill, we were thinking the same thing. Um, so the trivia question later we'll get to. Um, but uh, can we talk about the bro- the the commentary? Because I, I, I said I would do it. And guys, I think. I think that I love Rob and Bart, like, you know, they do a great job and like, they really build the excitement and Bill, Bill, can we get your Rob impression again? Oh, uh, so that this deserves a full on. Oh, uh, and I think it just, it, it shows the place that cyclocross holds in the world. Our guy, Rob and our guy, Bart, like, did Pitcock, did Pitcock, uh, Pitcock, so Pitcock was here, which was awesome. Uh, did, did he race cyclocross this year? And then, you know, Rob's like, I don't, I don't think so. And Bart's like, no, no, he didn't, he didn't race cyclocross this year. He's been, he's been racing on the road in those spring classics. <laughs> and then like two minutes later, clearly someone on the production team, like puts the card in front of him and is like, they're like, oh, 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 Pitcock actually won the world <laughs> championship. <laughs> It was more than two minutes, and I I put just as much blame on that production truck that somebody, nobody in there knew it, and yeah, they're hitting Google (laughs) to try to figure out if Pidcock actually did do cyclocross, and it took them a long time to figure it out. That's, That's how much cyclocross means in the mountain bike world. Potentially, though, this is the redemption shot that gets Ellie Ezerbeat a tiny bit of camera time and a Chiron on Sunday. Yeah, what? How did that happen? So like, he gets he gets some love, and they're like, oh, he's oh, oh has he has he won a world cup? <laughs> and I, one of them was like, yeah, I think he's he's won a few. But I don't know if it was. I, it must have been. It was probably Rob. Like he actually called. Like coming up on two to go, he called Sam Gaze. Like he was just like all the race. He's like, oh, he's looking great right now. So I give him a redemption. There's a redemption arc here. I forget if it was Rob or Bart, but they called it. Like they called their shot. I, I thought that was great, but that was hilarious. All right, so good fight the whole time. We got Nino still trying to figure out how to win a short track race. Just, you know, every time it's like gets out there, goes out front, just plays Nino and tactics. Just, you know, the, the man is the best male mountain bike racer ever. You know, once he gets that next world cup race, it'll be, you know, there'll, there'll be no argument. He still doesn't know how to, he win keeps a, going a too early. He's like, he keeps attacking. He always goes, like, yeah. Yeah. The move, the winning move at the Sam Gaze pretty much had this one. You know, it was fine. He was coming around the turn. But then to seal the deal, the move to seal the deal, Elizabeth, coming around that corner was just a thing of beauty. It was such a classic mountain bike move. Not necessarily a brake check, but more of just a a little slowdown. Yes. A pace change, if it were. As a pace as change. It were. And then he was like, oh, and then everybody else had to like slam on the brakes. And then he was like, oh, I'm accelerating. And then he was just gone. There was like no, no, no chance to even sprint. It was just, yeah, I just, I just loved it because it was so well executed at the end of that race. It was sort of the cherry on the top. Yeah. A thing of beauty. Really so well played. Like a fiddle. I will say the one thing that's becoming fun, and we'll get to this with the XCO race, is watching Nino. I mean, if it, it's like one of those things where you watch Machu, and especially I love watching Wout, just like his craftsmanship and the weird lines he takes and what he does. But I mean, Schurter was was screwed. He was in fourth place, and he passed two guys with the the non whoop 
whoop line. I mean, he got in the game. Like, I mean, he wasn't going to win that sprint, but like, I don't know. That was pretty fun to watch the way he made that move. And like, was it Saru who he passed? I think was shocked. Was just like, what? What are you doing? Like, you're here. Uh, you know, so maybe don't go at the beginning of a lap and think you're going to win from two and a half minutes out and try to use a little bit more craftiness uh, and pick your spots a little bit better because he certainly has the skills to do it. Yeah, and that's that, that was that section at the end that didn't used to be there. That was such a great addition to the short track for sure where they, you had three different lines coming into it. But I, yeah, I, I, I have a theory about uh, Nino's uh, line choice that we can, um, we can get to because I think it was a big part of the ex-CEO race but uh yeah did we do have we done short track yeah let's move on let's let's uh let's go to Sunday 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 uh so I'll start um a big a big part of this is uh playing a factor in the start of this race Luana Lacanta she crashes she crashes out um I don't know how much she was injured but that relegated her to a a fourth row start uh, and we saw, you know, at Petropolis, first row start, she's up there. She really was the one who dictated the pace and said, hey, y'all are going to follow me. So Elizabeth, as the chief Becca McConnell correspondent uh, on the, the face of this planet, do you think that that factored into her strategy? Because I think she took over the Loana Lacompta, um position of she made the race. She's like, I feel great. And what are y'all going to do? Like, do you think yeah. that that was played a role in that? I do. I think it was uh, and it was I think it was fun to see what would happen with that, uh, because I think, you know, as as uh, the the chief correspondent of uh, McConnell Incorporated, uh, the no, I you know, we've suspected or posited before that maybe if she's on the front or maybe as we saw in Petropolis, if she had not had someone between her and Loana at the beginning, that she would have gone out too hard and burned too many matches early on trying to chase Lecomte down. And so to see her make the decision to attack or set the pace when she did, as she did from the beginning, and to have it work out, uh, I think was a really, you know, is a real proof of concept for her as a racer, probably, you know, internally, but also, I think on a, a, a meta level, an interesting proof of concept on how this all works, regardless of who's in the front, that it isn't necessarily Loana the Wunderkind, but like, it's whoever is in the front, like, if you make that move, and the people behind you hesitate the gap that you establish at the beginning can be decisive and you know it not always but the way that a you know a 50 second minute gap can open up in the first lap it's not just because Loana did it or it's not just because you know in some years Pauline's been the one to do it but I think we have been it, it's been easy to get into a pattern of thinking that's just Loana whereas maybe it's also that's just if if you're strong enough at the front of the race to do that and people hesitate long enough, it might work out. Uh, and I think, you know, Jenny, for her part, goes along with the move um, at, you know, not immediately, but at, at a certain point, you know, does go along with the move and sticks with it. But the two of them really establish quite a gap on the field uh, early on in the race. 
that makes a lot of sense because then you saw the group. So Jenny wisely, you know, jumped and she went across, but like there was a group of like nine women or something like that. And that's when you get into like, you know, the two are off the front, right? It's almost like a crit to use a crit analogy, like you're trading poles, you're doing work, you know, uh, Becca did work for the first two laps, but then Jenny jumped in in lap three. Everyone else is just kind of putzing around like, I don't want to go. Do you want to go? Like, uh, so yeah. And I think we've seen that in both races where it's been someone's, someone sets the pace and it's join or get left behind. Uh, and it's certainly, it's different than I guess maybe what we've seen with the men where it's a little bit more tactical. Things take a little bit, although this was a little bit different today, but like, you know, in Petropolis, it was much different. It was more of a, a battle of attrition where we're seeing aggressiveness in these longer races from the get-go. And it's, it's interesting. It's exciting at the beginning. Cause you, the beginning of the race, you're like the race might be decided in the next like five minutes. Right. And I think it's, you know, I mean, what's, what's interesting about it too, is if you think about the, the psychological energy that you're spending, um, if you are in that, do we chase or don't we chase, or am I taking up the chase or are you taking up the chase? And you see this in road racing all the time where a chase group is arguing about who's going to close and the solo rider is off going, you know, five, 10 K an hour faster by themselves into the headwind because the chase can't get organized. And, to see, you know, even if it's more subtle in in the mountain bike, like there's still mental energy being expended around a sort of look around who's doing this and, you know, is somebody else going to help me, blah, blah, blah. Whereas if you're on the front or if you're one of two on the front, that energy isn't being expended on that. It's being expended on let's keep this pace up and, you know, keep charging forward and try to you know measure our effort not to mention that you don't have somebody in front of you messing up their line the other thing to take into consideration with this track is that they have a start loop which is supposed to make it more fair for everyone to have a shot to get to the front that's a fiction it it doesn't happen and it bottlenecks pretty quickly and it what it means is that then it is truly if you did well in the short track, then you are the ones that are in that position that you're talking about, Elizabeth, where you're doing that tactical riding, you, you know, in that, in that second group where in this race, what we had is I think two of the strongest riders in Loana and also Mona Mitterwalner who had to fight the whole race just to get back into position. And Zach with better short track results, is this a different race? I mean, Mona Mitterwalner is the one I think that everyone's like, oh boy, uh, we need to look out for her. So I, I have a, I, I have a question first. So, you know, um, I think in, in my write up over the bulletin, I called them the two wunderkinds. I uh, love that word. Um, but Elizabeth, also you're the, the chief German correspondent. My understanding it's a German word. Can we use it for Loana? Because Mona is Austrian and speak. I mean, is this a little, can we do that? I need a ruling well, here. I, heaven forbid, I start some sort of geopolitical drama calling a French woman a wunderkind. But uh, I, 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 I should say this did come out of my na- native German speaking. Uh, I used to speak enough French to know, but I think it's fine. It's a, it's a, it's like Schadenfreude. It's a universally understood okay. German word. 
That's what so. I figured you were going to say, but yeah. I, I figured I would bring it up because of your German background and that you used it as well. Uh, you know, so I, Bill, like, I, I think we were supposed to get to see this battle at U23 Worlds last year, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Luana got injured or sick and missed it, but this was kind of what we were we were looking for it just that it ended up we ended up getting to see it in a battle for third uh you know uh, pauline was there kind of you know uh keller i think got dropped off but you know it was the two of them and so you talked about bill i was gonna say you were talking about uh riders trading blows or whatever those two were going at it oh my gosh And speaking of trading blows, literally at one point, it looks like Mona blows her nose on Loana in anger. Like, I I don't know if I caught that correctly, but it sure looked like a I'm going to snot rocket on you because uh, this is. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was pretty spicy on the boardwalk, like the little 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 uh, paint trading on the boardwalk section. What a race. Loana has a championship mentality that I think is safe to say. She she expects like she should be there, which is great. I mean, I think that's that's what you need. But it definitely, I mean, you know, just with her relationship with Pauline and I think probably some other riders coming up that, um, yeah, she's she's kind of marked and, and she's kind of earned that. But she's also able to back it up. So it's it's awesome. It's it's good for the sport. Well, and I don't know the source on this, but and maybe we'll be seeing this for a long time. But I mean, Mitterwaller is already calling her shot. She wants to be the greatest mountain biker who's ever ever touched a mountain bike. Uh, so, guys, I mean, we'll get to that. Is it too early? Can you do that when all you've done is won six U23 World Cups and a, oh, a U23 World Championship? Is that legal? And does this make her a villain? So you're saying it's okay to wait until after you win a gold medal at the Olympics to make some statement about how you were be born to do well, that? Well, technically, but... he did it before. Actually, it was like he didn't even oh, get to, okay. the, to the... But like he backed it up, and it's pick. Oh, no, you're right. It was Nova Mesto, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I read the I read the bulletin. I should have known. Okay. That. Um, I, I don't know. I, I it, It's an interesting thing that she's she's calling her shot. So I... And it, it, with... And, I, you know, we've got the team beef. We've got the F1, like, inter-country beef between uh, Luana and Pauline. So I like it that I think that we're going to be seeing these two uh, getting it on, uh, as it were, uh, as their their careers go on. Well, and I think generally, too, I mean, this is, uh, speaking more broadly, it's exciting to see, you know, we started off talking about the Swiss and, you know, how many Swiss women have been involved in in dominating this sport where you see maybe one good rider from each of several other countries uh, to see how many countries we now have where there are two or three women who are crushing it uh, from any number of given countries is pretty excellent. Like the, the geographic diversity of the, the women's mountain bike field is, is pretty spot on. So let's go to the moment. Elizabeth, we had the dual climb. It's kind of got like the steep, steep, short, long, shallow. So you, you know, you've done a lot of mountain biking. Uh, you've seen this feature, like which, which route would you take, uh, through that feature, which would be your, and walk me through. What are some of the advantages, yeah. some of the disadvantages? Because we also saw, I mean, so we saw which line uh, the winner of this race took, but we also saw Pitcock kind of attacked in the same place, but he went the shallower way. He didn't need the steep way. He did the same thing. So you could attack either way, potentially. So walk me through. What are some of the advantages, disadvantages, and what were you thinking seeing kind of the two routes that the, the two, our top two contenders took? 
Yeah, I mean, you definitely there is I think what makes this choice exciting is exactly kind of what you're getting at is that it, you can do it with either line. It's a dependent on how how you commit to the attack and what kind of a rider you are. Uh, and I think, you know, to commit to the the steeper line, which Beck McConnell does. Uh, you have to bring in a pretty, uh, pretty solid burst of speed, particularly at the end, uh, over a very steep rise and then be able to keep going after that, recover quickly to keep going and extend the gap. You've got to be able to, if you're doing, you know, if you're going into this feature with another rider and you're choosing those opposite lines, the acceleration that you have to do at that very steep, punchy bit right at the end, as you see the other person coming on the shallower line, um, there's there's a level of commitment there uh, that I, as someone who prefers descending to climbing most of the time, would uh, probably choose the shallower line um, for a little bit more steady application of power and maybe a slightly longer attack rather than a, a shorter and sharper attack. I think you're more likely to slip out on that steeper line um, because you're more likely to be out of the saddle. And if you hit something loose, that could go poorly for you. It didn't look like anybody really had traction with that. This is me projecting my own opinion on what would happen to me. Uh, <laughs> so, but I think, you know, it is a, the, the, the heart rate spike that you're going to get is probably a little more extreme from that steeper line. Um, but it doesn't have to be because you can go that shallower line harder. This is always this is like this is why Michael should be here because this is one of these these great opportunities for him to ask which one's the A line, and I I don't I don't think there's an answer. I mean, if you had to, I think that if you looked at the flow of the track, the lower line is the A line because you don't have to reintegrate it into it. It. It takes it goes straight up, like Elizabeth was saying, and I think that higher line, why it is more of a risk, is exactly what you're saying, Elizabeth. Is that not only do you have to like go twice, but you have to make a right turn in the middle of your attack. So you basically have to attack to watch where the other person is, and then attack again after you make that turn, which just sort of can kill your flow and and your momentum. So pretty, pretty great, sort of like. I'm the boss here move by McConnell on that spot. And, and they weren't in a situation, which I think we'll see more in the men's race, which I'd like to come back to this, this section about that reintegration and just how it works in the field. Um, it, it's, it can be dicey. I mean, it's, it's not every sport that you, you have to zipper merge. Right. And I think, you know, the, the, one of the things that I find interesting about this, question of of a line and b line and why i think some of it comes down to rider preference and rider style is even on the last lap becca mcconnell is all in on that line like that's her line that's the one she likes that's the one she wants to do she doesn't have to do it she's got plenty gap to not do it if it's harder or riskier for her but she's committed. She's all in. She knows that it's an advantage for her from the previous lap, presumably, um, or just in general. And she just knows maybe it makes her feel good and jazzed because doing a like punchy attack like that, even if you're by yourself, like if that if you succeed at it, that's a boost of adrenaline because you did it. And then you're setting up to go into some drops and you know you're going to get a 
tiny bit of recovery. Well, and you get you get a little recovery before too. It's actually a nice little bit because you get that recovery on the on the downhill where you can flow into it and then you attack right. and then you drop and 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 recover again. And I think year to year, if you look at that section, I, I'd love to go back and sort of analyze that. I think the the high versus low of what yeah. is preferred changes race to race. Every year, it seems like it's the, the, a different line is what the preferred if, line. And hear me out here, Bill. What if, what if there was a person, uh, we'll just, we'll call him William S., who, who has a history of, of doing such videos of such a thing that people seem to really enjoy, enjoy watching. That could be a good one. I, I, we should track that person down. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Uh, so I, um, it was interesting watching this because, you know, Becca was really pushing the descents and it was funny, you know, talking about wrist feds on Friday, taking that inside steeper line. Cause she was just getting smoked on the descents, but you know, and she would come back and, you know, listening to Becca after the race she said, Oh, you know, Jenny was being really crafty and, and stuff. And it almost felt to me when McConnell went, that like either a Risfeds was really tired or B she just completely fell asleep at the wheel. Like, like one of those situations where, you know, Oh, we're, we're together. This is going to the last lap. She wouldn't possibly attack here. So in a way, I mean, if that's the case, it was just absolutely brilliant by McConnell that she was just like, she lit it up and it, it almost looked like Risfeds was just pedaling through the section and came out of it and was like, Oh shit. Like she's doing the thing. And, Super impressive. And then, you know, McConnell looks back and she's just like, I'm all in. Um, so I don't I don't know which it was, if it was maybe a combination of both, but brilliant move. It was awesome to see. I mean, you love seeing as a cross person, you just love seeing features make a difference. And, you know, McConnell just picked the perfect time and it was really neat to see. Yeah, Jenny did indicate that she was uh, pretty cooked. Okay. Uh, right. So I think, uh, you know, Becca Goddard uh, effort wise. And, and I think, you know, Jenny to her credit, did a solid job hanging on to position when it looked like, you know, Mona was really surging and, you know, came within, you know, under 10 seconds of her at one point. And it looked like, oh, gosh, okay, Jenny is is sinking here, is really losing a lot of time, but, you know, was able to, to turn the pace back on again enough to preserve that position to the finish. Yeah, and I was a little surprised, you know, like, because it was down to 12 seconds going into, I think, like, the second climb or whatever. And, you know, McConnell was up. She was ahead by, like, nine seconds the split at the top of that climb and then, like, 23 at the bottom. So, like, Risfeds was just not descending well. And you, know, you look back and you're like, how did Mittenwalder not catch her? Like, one, she took 20 seconds out on the climb, you know. So, I, I don't know. Risfeds clearly got, like, a third wind or whatever and was able to to put in some good time on the descent and then all in on the climb. But I was just, like, looking at the numbers. I'm like, what what happened? Because <laughs> you were – I mean, she just was not descending well on on that course. No, and I think probably at, at that point, too, if she's cooked – that, you know, the descents are not maybe as hairy as they are in the wet or in, you know, some other instances. Jenny had a terrible crash on that wave section several years ago. Uh, so, you know, I think there's she's a, a rider with enough experience to know that if you are too redlined, um, dial it back on the descents so that you don't end your race uh, prematurely. So I think that's, you know, that I, I, I could see that being a like, Ooh boy, I gotta, gotta kind of reel it back in here. 
not crash, not go over the bars, not do something wild. Definitely a lot of rocks on the side of the trail here that you could uh, really hurt yourself on. So that's my guess is that it was uh, a little bit of a, a brain safety check um, going into that and knowing that, you know, hopefully that she would get a little bit of recovery out of that as well. The other thing is if you're descending a little bit slower, you get a little bit more recovery time. Uh, so worked out well enough in the end. Yeah. The the one thing that I, I love that Red Bull does is their graphics package that they have for this and the kind of the red versus green on each sector. You know, they, they, they really do a good job. I hope Discovery carries over this. You know, I, I know, Elizabeth, you've seen it for the downhill too, sort of the virtual rider thing where you can see where people are against each other on different sectors. It's, it's super cool. And it's really um, a great storytelling device for for these races and just to see where mcconnell was on the green versus risveds and we saw it in you know with pitcock as well it's just it's super cool to see where these advantages are gained on the course yeah it's great i mean i was my parents were visiting and so we had it on tv um with my parents and you know who are not not fans of the sport generally other than me being their daughter um they're just sort of marginally aware that it exists uh and that kind of data, those kinds of graphics are so helpful for people who are new to the sport, not to mention people who are really into it, to help you understand and illustrate something that's really complicated to follow if you don't really know it. You know, I know I've talked to people who are who race on on the track, on the velodrome, and think like, my gosh, you know, if you could do half the kind of graphic treatments that Red Bull does for mountain biking for other disciplines in cycling, cycling the way that that would make it more accessible to new fans, it's just, I, you know, I like you said, Bill, I really hope Discovery knows what the hell they're doing when they pick this up because it would be a real shame to lose that information. So the winner of our... Uh, the should we go through the the winner of our our battle of the Wunderkins? Uh, Mona gets the gets the nod. She opened up a little bit of gap. To, she was starting to kind of put put the herd into to Loana at the end of lap four, going into lap five, and then just kind of kind of lit it up. So Loana to finish fourth, and then Alessandra Keller takes fifth place. So you know she was in in that chase group. Uh, you know she was dangling. I think at one point, you know she was dangling while Pauline was still up there. And there was one point where then Pauline just dropped like a rock. You know, and Keller, she actually was in front of it, wasn't she? Like at yes. one point, gets to the front and it's just like I'm a. She had like a six second lead. She attacked. Yes, yeah, she really attacked. And and I think this is where. Um, actually, the the potentially passive aggressive snot rocket from Mona to Loana happens as there as Keller has put a gap on them and they come through the start finish and Mona's like trying to get Loana to pull through. Loana won't do it. She's like, all right, pfft, like let me blow a snot rocket at you. Like, come on, like let's let's do this. Um, so that was that was the point where you know I wrote in my notes like, is Keller having the ride of the day here? Like, this is. This is a move like she has every I think everybody would give her the deference to sit in that group with those two. And she was having none of it and went for the attack. And, you know, good for her. It didn't didn't pan out in the end. But uh, I, I think it was it was good to see 
that level of confidence out of her in that ride as well. Yeah, it shows kind of like the the difference in strengths because like it, it must have been the end of lap three because she was like at the top of the second climb, she kind of went to the front. So she passed them because, you know, she wanted to to make her move. And so she kind of made up the gap on on that. And then, you know, in the, the grassy section at the bottom, there were a little bit more power ish kind of sections and she was able to really take advantage of it you know I, I think there was that short climb from the short track race was in there and so she did a nice job um doing that i another you know potential one of those ones that we watch uh Laura Stiger, i crashed like at the beginning of the race and was like way back i mean might have been like almost dfl comes back to finish sixth like she's on good form right now. I mean, she had a really nice race in in Petropolis. It's one of those that kind of flies under the radar a little bit, but you know, it's one of those where if you're a competitor, you're like, I will make note of of this thing that she achieved uh, in this race. Yep. Yeah, a couple other notables. Um, our world champion Evie Richards still still suffering from from a sore back and just back issues and hopefully she'll get that all sorted out. Cause I think she has the strength just, just can't, you know, race through that pain. And then, uh, Vash, who was up there early and, you know, faded some, but still for a cyclocross and road racer to sort of peek into the, the world cups, like she has for the last couple of seasons, 15th places is, is nothing to sneeze at for a still young rider. So she's, she's definitely, I think one the name that we've heard and now uh, sort of breaking into another discipline at this elite level, be fun to watch. Can be a little bit controversial. Okay. Um, I, and I, I might, I'm going to be on vacation. So I may miss next week. Uh, are we concerned about American mountain biking? Let's wait until next week. I think that is just that's. Uh, I think that for riders like Haley Batten, riders like Kate Courtney, Nova Mesto is. I think that'll be the gauge. I think that's a that's a race that uh, is somewhere that. Okay. Well, I would say right now, I think the only rider who would say I am excited and happy from the Americans of how my season is going is Gwendolyn Gibson. For sure. <laughs> Top 20 in this race? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, she's kind of like, I mean, she's up there. She finished 19th or whatever. She had two great results at, at Petropolis. And it's a rider that, you know, I don't think gets talked about nearly as much as any number of, of American women. But I mean, she's got to be pretty happy with the results he had. So uh, I will perhaps jump in for the sole purpose of of raising that. And, you know, Chris Blevins, just sick, not feeling well. I mean, he had two really bad races. So, I mean, it's not just the women are, you know, our, our hope on the, the men's side not doing so hot uh, right now either. Yeah. And Haley had an okay day. She wasn't happy with it, but she did, did finish 17th, you know, finished with Evie, basically. So not not where she wants to be, but I think, you know, not the worst either. For sure. Uh, top Canadian, Jen Jackson, friend of the show. Um, yeah, should we move on to the men? Guys, before we before we leave uh, the women's race, uh, I wanted to ch- also channel my inner Bodie and do some trivia. Uh, so it was noted on the broadcast, uh, the short track race started in 2018, I think, was the first year that we did short track. It was noted that with McConnell's queen... Uh, queen i don't know that was like a, a, a freudian slip or whatever clean sweep she was the queen i was a queen sweep of the um of the two races she was the fifth woman uh to 
to do this. Uh, so my question to, to y'all, uh, one, who are the other four? And if you want bonus points, which races did they do it at? And other bonus point, which is the only one of them to do it twice? Wow. Well, I think Pauline is a is 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 an easy guess for one of no. them to be able to. Wrong. No. <laughs> Oof! Wow. All right. Has Evie done it? She did at Snowshoe in 2021. Mm-hmm. Okay. Loana. She did at Leo. Did Loana do it at, twice at Leo Gang in 2021? So when did the Kate race. do it? She did. In Lenzerheide? No. Did Kate do it twice in the same year? Yes. She did. She oh. did, yeah, she did it Leger and Albstadt in twenty nineteen. That's right. So she's she's our she's our double. She's our double. One more. Did we say did we say Yolanda? It's not Yolanda. Okay. Think uh Clean Smiles. Annika. Well done. 2018 I know a Yeah. Is she done with dental school? Is she is she uh Oh yeah, okay. she's a practicing dentist okay. now. All right. Yeah. Well, I like that you picked up on that one. So, uh that was our trivia question and uh by my count, like six of the 24 races, we've had a, a double. So 25% of the time we get a, a double winner. I, I thought it would be less frequently, um, but I was maybe I a little surprised too. that yeah. it was six out of, I think, 24. I could be wrong, but I, d- I did a quick count during lunch today. <laughs> Let's uh, go to the men. So fun fact, going into the men's race, in the pre-race coverage, it comes out that Sam Gaze had double knee surgery five weeks ago. What does that mean? What kind of surgery is he having here? Just like laparoscopic, maybe scope? having a little like little, little scrapey scrape in the cartilage. I don't know. It didn't go into detail. I was a little bit sleepy when I was watching this, but uh, wow, it's like he's in the NBA now. Like what? Yeah. So that's kind of impressive. Uh, I guess. I suppose it worked. Well, you, you know, when you get your knee scoped, the first the first thing they have you do for recovery is ride a bike. So maybe he was just taking that to the extreme. <laughs> True. Doctor's orders. That, it sounds really cool. Like scopes are, it can be pretty quick to recover from. But you know what? It sounds amazing. So that's awesome to see. Yeah, that is amazing. Uh, so the start of this race was just like, it was so fast. Like... It was so crazy fast. fast. Like guys were just throwing attacks at one another. Uh, and we'll just fast forward to like, maybe it's the, the encapsulation of just how fast this started. We had Avancini for no apparent reason, throwing attacks at Nino and Nino not being happy with it. That felt like a throwback. Like I, I imagine that you guys were pretty stoked to see this random, these random act of aggression. <laughs> You say no apparent reason. Isn't that absolutely the reason? A hundred percent the reason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's so all out. Just like no holds barred attacks going, just going right in. But you know who is sticking with them all the way is Vlad Dasklu, our Romanian pal. Just right with him. Just, okay, I'm going to hang out here. So he did that, but like, so Nino got his revenge, uh, you know, A-line, B-line, uh, Elizabeth, 
Nino did the thing again. Like everyone was like, what, what, what is, what is going on? And then he just like, he totally punks him. Right. Cause you know, the exit for the A-line was this hard, right. And Nino's just like, I'm a pass you right now. Uh, and that's when Vlad was like, I'm a also join this, this adventure here, which he kind of did at Petropolis too. I think it's awesome to see uh Daskalu riding on this really good form and having that confidence for such a young kid. But man, that B-line section was something else. That yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it it almost it feels like that thing where you know you you you're watching someone and you're like, you okay, man? Like, what's going on? Like Nino going with these crazy beeline attacks now, two races in a row, and you know the first time you do it, he's like, okay, yes, he's this is brilliant. He's just managed to sort of nail this line and ride it really fast the way that nobody else has done. And now it just feels like like dazzle camo chaos agent style that he's going into beelines and making like truly beelines, not like the A-line beeline we were talking about earlier with the women on the climb. Like we're talking a true beeline. It is supposed to take you longer. It is supposed to be less efficient. It is supposed to not be an advantage and he turns it into an advantage uh it's just it was just wild just wild he he did that one like the alternate alternative to like the highest point on the course the drop taking that be he's doing it fast this is this is my theory is that nino is bored with racing mountain mountain bikes at this point and he he's doing his own little internal tiktok or hashtag challenge his his beeline challenge and he's just going to do this every race where he's going to try to beat people on the beeline and and so far it's it's working out but i think i think in his head he's like he's probably like sessioning these a ton i mean you know he is and they're timing it and they're like i can do this just as fast and again it's that psychological thing sort of what you were talking about with avancini attacking for for no reason this is kind of the same thing i mean he's getting into people's heads with this and i love it i i, I just it's it throws such a wrench into what is supposed to happen and what you're supposed to do in these races. I love this theory. Yeah, I, I'm. I this may work its way to the the bulletin uh, Instagram page to get some of that coveted engagement. The Nino Schurter Beeline Challenge, and we'll see if we can make it a thing. I like too that you know Avancini is becoming. He's he's almost like this this. Um, uh, the Washington generals like of these races. And I, the, my point being is at the start of, so Nino and Vlad get off the front and this was the start of lap two, I think it was. And it w- I'm str- I'm struggling to remember, but it was one of the, the early two laps and Avancini's leading the chase and Pitcock's like, guys, maybe it was the second climb. It was like, he was like, guys, I've had enough. Uh, and so, you know, Pitcock bridges. So it was the, it was lap one, second climb. He jumps around and he begins the chase and, you know, Fluky comes across and, um, uh, Karad did his best. And, you know, that was, that was the gap. That was the, the five riders at the front. So I just thought it was funny. You know, he's, he's this foil, um, you know, for Nino. And then, you know, he's there kind of on the front and Pitcock's just like, I'm going to go race my, I'm gonna go race my bike now. Um, he's, He's like Marco Pantini. He's Il Parata of, of mountain biking. He's just out there. He's going to like attack and then he's just going to quit. It's like done. Uh, so can we talk a little bit about Pitcock and that pass to get up to the, up, up to the chase? And I, and I think it's a key factor in why Pitcock 
does well at these races and he has something that I think that a lot of the mountain bike field doesn't is that he knows from road racing how to get to the front of a pack. I mean, if you saw him against that fence line and he did it in the short track and then he did it in the in the XCO as well, just passing five, six, seven people, just coming up the edge, sort of serpentining through people and able to make his way to the front. I mean, he just has that confidence that I don't think a lot of those other riders do. And he's super comfortable. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's used to racing handlebar to handlebar week in and week out. So this is like nothing to him. And I, I think it's just a huge advantage because he's able to get to the front whenever he wants. And I think a lot of people, you talk about a bad starting position and you're done. Not for him. I mean, he, he just knows how to do it and it's not an issue. Yeah, he sees spots to move up that most mountain bikers don't see. And I think that a lot of people are, you know, and, and with good reason, gun shy about shooting a gap that looks kind of small, uh, about going around the outside where it looks like there might not be enough room. Um, you know, and it's, he's he's not doing it because he's big and able to muscle his way through. Uh, it kind of, you know, there's almost an element of like, roller derby to this where he knows how to find the the gaps in the pack and and weave his way through it but i think you're right bill like he knows how to position himself and how to make those moves within tight spaces that i think a lot of mountain bikers frankly like they're they're not conditioned to to pass or move around a field that way and it is risky like it's definitely risky to have wide handlebars that can catch on stuff you're not able to tuck yourself in quite as tightly but uh if you're willing to to take the risk um it it can pay off and he's making it work for him can we please get more roller derby references like that sure please we, we do too much basketball I, I want more i want more roller derby reference if you can keep doing that that was a great reference because i i can envision what you're talking about kind of like the shorter person who can weave in and out or whatever so uh it, 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 i like that you you guys bring this up I, I guess i was thinking about you know you're looking at the short track race and you're like oh pidcock must have an advantage because he's a really good cyclocross racer and it's you know looking at that race it was just so different it was so tactical and it was like making the move at the right place but now you're talking about where those you know some of those skills of picking your lines and having the confidence and having the confidence to ride a sketchy line and commit to it or whatever. It seems like that's a space where that's coming into play. And we've seen it with some of the short track races last year where he was doing some kind of like sketchy stuff, but you're right. Like both from the road and cross picking lines and being confident. It's, I mean, we've all done it. We've ridden with people who aren't confident. And like, if you're a good bike handler and feel confident, you can bully your way into spots because other other riders just won't take them so well he's he's a triple threat in this and i and i think that that you're on to something there with the different skills and the cross comes into play as well and you look at sort of the culture of these different sports and and i was you know it's kind of how i was talking about the a and that b line and having to reintegrate yourself and the the zipper merge back into the group if if you look at just straight road racers on that, the road culture is you let the guy in, you wait, you do it, everybody plays together, we're in this bunch until the end. You look at cyclocross, cyclocross, that didn't happen. And somebody's going to come up there and if they see you, they're going to speed up to try to make you stop, to try to make you crash into that tape because that's position. 
And and then mountain biking, I think it, it also is a little more deferential where we're letting the person in. We don't want to crash anybody. So I think he has that aggressiveness from cyclocross and then also just that that savvy of of, of pack riding in roads. So he, he's really got it coming both ways. I mean, I, I always think back as far as like the the road ethics in mountain biking. And I don't know if y'all remember this because it brings up who we've been talking about, Sam Gaze, back in the Commonwealth Games. And I think this was 2018, maybe 16 or 18. And it was in Australia. It was Sam and Anton Cooper, both New Zealanders who were basically racing each other for the gold medal in the Commonwealth Games. And Sam was in front of Anton and he crashed and Anton went by him and attacked like you're supposed to do. And Sam Gaze, that the road racer got all pissed off because you're not supposed to do that. You know, there's, you're supposed to wait. And he, and Anton's like, who's just a mountain biker is like, what the hell are you talking about? This was a mountain bike race. You went down. I kept going. I'm not waiting for you. And it was just this really weird thing of sort of like cross-discipline cultures that, that, that didn't mesh in there. And, and what I love about Pidcock and maybe even Gaze coming back into this and Vanderpool when he was here is that they're bringing these cultures from these different disciplines that those guys aren't really used to and incorporating them into mountain biking. And I don't think we've really seen that before. I mean, we've seen the other way. We've seen Cadell Evans, who is a great mountain biker who went on to win the Tour de France, but nobody's really come back the other way. And that's what we're seeing more of. And it's, uh, I think it just adds this different dimension and chaos to the sport, which is great. You know what Pickcock is really, really also really good at on his triple threats? Uh, he was pretty good at climbing. I don't, I don't know. Um, in, in pretty the, okay. In the, pretty okay in, at in that. In the third lap. I, I, I don't know. I mean, eventually he, he got to the front. I mean, he attacked through the dual climb. I don't think that was the decisive one per se, but you know, Elizabeth, this course, it's, it's, it's split up, right? We talked about how there's the, the beginning climb of the first climb and then you get to this duel, but then it gets really steep. And he was just kind of like out of, he called it. He was just testing to see where everyone is really at. Um, but my God, like that was quite the attack. Like he was blistering to the top of that climb. And, you know, to his credit, I, I felt like Nino responded better than he say would have the last two years. Like he seemed better. He was the guy who tried to respond, but like, I mean, Pickcock is just, he's, he's, he's a, he's a generational talent. And like, he just did crazy things to this field and just blew that, that group apart with that attack. Yeah. And it looked like his attack looked really strong. Like it didn't look forced. It kind of, it looked more like he was, I mean, dare I say it, having fun um, going fast up the climb. Uh, It just it did not look like I got to go. Like it didn't have that sort of hyper anxious energy. It just looked like he was feeling the rhythm that he was tapping out and, you know, giving giving it a little bit more of a go. And it was uh, blistering compared to what other people were capable of doing at that but like you know you look at the like his body language and his expression and it didn't look like it took like everything out of him or anything like that it didn't look calculated it just looked like he felt good and went for it so here's my question It, it, it he is you're right zach that that is his strength that he's this amazing 
climber. However, I would argue that his climbing ability is better suited for next week, Mm. which is just scary that he's that much better than everybody in this race. And then when we get to these relatively shorter climbs at Nova Mesto, I, I just, it's, he could just like destroy well, and he did last year because I mean, you're saying the, the punchiness yeah. I and mean, he talked about in this post-race interview right. he's like ah, i'm not where i was last year when i was winning all the things or whatever so you know i guess that he was eh, that's pitcock right like he's a little bit like ah, i haven't touched my mountain bike very much um but you're right like it, the explosiveness and he's so light and so powerful that it suits his ability to kind of do um the the explosive climbs and kind of like the, the the repetitions of them um yeah, I, it was certainly interesting, right? Like having him come back was like, what are the ringers going to do? And, you know, we we learned that Vanderpool is out for the season, so he's out. But, uh, you know, what I like to hear is, you know, they asked him, what are your goals? He's like, worlds. So I, I think that, you know, we always have this concern that some of these guys are going to come in. We saw it with Vanderpool, like, oh, he's going great. And he's just like, eh, no worlds for me. Um, you know, so it's awesome that he's he's targeting that. And this is this is not the year where we have the mega worlds, is it? Aren't we doing like a mega world championships? Like, yeah, the Glasgow mega worlds. Okay, so I'm I, I, right now the way too early. If we're making predictions, Pitcock is easily the favorite to win worlds. Like, does does British cycling have to put him on the road team? I mean, no right, no male has ever unified the jerseys. I mean, if he does it, don't, don't you have to, I mean, he's got to do it. He's got to go for it. I think if he wants to do it, British cycling is going to let him do whatever the hell he wants in cycling at this point. Well, I'm on, I'm on, I'm on rainbow Jersey unification watch. Cause I mean, and it seems like Pickcock is just on a different level and yeah. Can we talk about our boy Vlad? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. Channeling Vlad his be almost impaled. Good job, Bill. That was <laughs> oh a great joke. God. That was a great joke. That was a great joke, Elizabeth. Uh, that is that is that is the joke of the show. Like congrats. It was, uh, it's it's Bill's credit. Oh, no, okay. Bill Bill tweeted that one. I'm just I'm just regurgitating it. He gets full credit. Bill, was, congratulations. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh I mean, that was a I'm impressed, impressed by his pit crew. That was a really fast seat post change. Um, and then it was really fast. It was. He, I mean, he lost time, but it was like he was only 38 seconds back after that lap. Like it was pretty, pretty impressive. Yeah. But I mean, super impressed. Like props to the Trek mechanics on that one. Got it got it into the right spot like that's a fussy thing all, all, to get already right paired place. to his controller yes already <laughs> paired we got it well done buy a six-pack for your mechanics vlad that was well done uh super impressive chase back by him uh to come back from that to come back from the discomfort of riding um without being able to sit down for a while uh not not a great feeling for your legs uh so that was that yeah well well done by him um on the day he's really i mean he's really showing out i mean two third place finishes he just barely got got pipped by nino 
at the end of that race. I mean, so it's really cool to see, especially given how the, the first short track race started an auspicious start to his Trek factory racing career, um, that he was able to, to bounce back and really be in the mix. And it's, it's cool to see a young kid, you know, against Nino, he's like, what, 24. So I'll call me young kid against Nino and just having no fear putting Romania on the map. I think that's a cool part of it too, is this country that's not a traditional mountain biking hotspot. And, you know, last year, the only reason that everyone knew him is because he put Pitcock in the, the Olympic gold. And now dude is really good. I, it, it, one of the stories of the season so far, it's just awesome to, uh, to see, but, uh, you know, along those lines, uh, what, what is with Flukiger and, and Alpstadt? He just, this, this course I guys, like I just, I just, uh, Heartbreaking. His, he should just not go, just not go. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe he needs a rest weekend for the Alpstadt course. Um, I, yeah, it was heartbreaking cause he was definitely looking pretty spicy, um, I was worried that he would look too spicy, uh, and, you know, really send it. Um, but I, it bummer, bummer to see him flat out and at a place where he had a pretty significant distance to go to get that flat changed. So, yeah. Um, also, you know, didn't end up with the, the highest finishing position, but Alan Hatherley, I think, clocked the fastest lap of the day. Um, pretty impressive ride, you know, from him overall as well this season, I think, you know, seeing somebody really as an emerging talent in him. Um, yeah, I mean, and, you know, for that matter, uh, David Valero Serrano coming in. Fifth place is also a pretty sweet, impressive ride from a rider that we don't hear about making the podium. See, that's why I love this. I love the wide angle podium is we have this like kind of fifth place spot. I feel like we've been seeing it in these races. It's it's one of those that happens like at Cyclocross Worlds. There'll be someone who finishes fifth and you're like, where did that come from? Like, you know, I, I look all the way back to like Magali Rochette in 2017, like just this memorable ride uh, for someone. And I love that we get to have these every week. So I am I'm always a proponent of the wide angle podium. I love to see it. You know, you love to see these riders that are able to withstand the early barrages and just ride within themselves and do what they need to do to, to move their way forward while riders who thought maybe they were in contention are just exploding left and right. Um, have that slow and steady and get some recognition for it instead of just being in fifth and you're in fifth and on the podium. And I love to love to see it. And we saw it in both races uh, here this weekend in the XCO races. Uh, and then also, uh, just want to shout out Gerardo Yola Arevalo, Mexican guy, uh, who sort of came onto the scene with that, um, Nova Mesto short track win a couple years ago. And then I think has kind of struggled a little bit to find his footing again. So really cool to see him still strong top 10. I, I think that, I think, I think he'll start moving up as well yeah that was great i was gonna shop shout that one out too bill i'm glad you mentioned that you know and he was really like in the mix it wasn't a fluke that he was sort of ended up in the top 10 out of attrition or anything like that like he was really in the mix of the chase groups uh throughout the race which was he was a guy that showed up to bonelli one year and nobody knew who he was and was just like riding away from like blevins and every sort of the top of the north american field there and like who is that guy and and now we know so it was cool to see uh victor karatsky back pretty meh uh 30 30th place 
but since this is the media pit, uh, in 38th, Armand Don. Nice result. Nice result for Armand yeah, Don. Respect for sure. You know, around Lars Forster, around some other some other uh, mountain biking guys. Opshot seems to be the 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 place that I guess it's the closest drive for most of the Belgies, and that's that's why they do it. Because I know I know in the past, like Tom Mason used to show up and do that race, and um, uh, Quentin Ehrmans would show up and do that race. So yeah, the Alpshot seems to be the the Belgian World Cup if they're gonna for cyclocrossers. And Ailey took a DNF. Uh, and we had, uh, who do you think? Top Canadian. Who would you guess? It's one of the Deseras. The Deserai? <laughs> a Deserai. I, 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 uh, yeah, no, I had already looked, but go ahead. <laughs> oh, uh, Sean Fincham. So we had uh, Peter Desera and Andrew Lesperance were battling uh, for second best Canadian. They were battling for the honorary michael vandenham position in in this race so yeah. big big crash for les Brands. started putting in some good laps near the end so hopefully hopefully he'll uh, have a clean race at uh nova mesto so we get to do it all over again i mean i we talked about it with the um the excitement and you know this block of racing i think is just one of one of the most exciting of the year right we're super stoked everyone's eager for it and we get two great races two classic races uh in a row so uh it'll be It'd be fun. I'm glad we get to do it all over. So exciting. And also, before we conclude, shout out to some other cyclocrossers in the U23 women's field. Crushing that podium, our girl Puck Peters getting her first World Cup podium in third place. And then uh, the French cyclocross champion, uh, is it Lien Berkier, uh, taking the win? Yes. Didn't, didn't Puck finish second? Oh, I thought she was third. Maybe she was second. Uh, yeah, podium regardless. Okay, we'll we'll contact the we're contacting the wide angle podium fact checking crew. Oh wait, no. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, Lene Berkway. Uh, I'm not even going to say her name, but I mean, she's been getting some. I think she won the first race as well down in in Brazil. So one of those talented young riders that she was kind of there. I mean the it's been well established the level of talent uh, among the Dutch women, but you know, she's one of those riders that could kind of crack through. So it's cool to see um, her have some success. I mean, we love our Dutch friends, but also to have some non-Dutch uh, who give us some excitement. So I, there'll be some hype going into this season to see what she can do uh, in cross. If she continues her success on the mountain bike. You're right. Puck was second. My apologies to Puck. Uh, I just, I got to You've got to stand up for the Becca McConnell's of the world. I got to stand up for the gingers. I, my my one postscript to this uh, episode when I was just like perusing down there at the the results, I did see Dan McConnell was there and was racing. So my whole theory about Dan and Beck not being together at the same place may be incorrect. So he wasn't in Brazil. Yeah, if you were yelling at your podcast machine earlier, I I, I take it all back. Did we do it, Bill? I think we did it, Zach. We'll, uh, we'll see you in a week for Nova Mesto. Uh, hang in there, kid. Dear Cycling Friends, 
we accept the fact that we have created the premier gravel and road racing podcast. And we don't think you're crazy to ask us who we think we are. You see us as you want to see us, in the simplest terms, in the most convenient definitions. But what we found out is that each one of us is a hobby blogger, a gravel pro, and a curious newbie. And you can find us on the Wide Angle Podium Network. Does that answer your question? Sincerely yours, The Grodio Podcast.